This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. In your name, amen. So we continue tonight in our series on Acts. And I'm just going to tell you right now, there's not going to be any marathon metaphors in this sermon. And I'm sorry, I feel like I've let you down. Um, but uh, we're preaching on Acts, and it just didn't lend itself to that. So I went with the scriptures. Um, you might feel like you have to endure a marathon listening to the sermon. So there you go. Um, thank you. But um, all right, so... We learn our stories. We learn who we are um, from these stories that we hear in our family over and over again. You heard some of that tonight. These stories that we tell, maybe your family has family stories that you kind of swap around and that you've heard over and over again. And uh, if you were here for the children's sermon, you heard my youngest attempt to tell the story of her nickname. We call her Bird, um, and or Flanny Bird, or some kind of birdie, anything kind of around uh, birds. But she, um, she, what she was telling is, it was when she came home from the hospital, she was less than two days old, and we had this giant chair uh, that someone, this old man had given us because Jonathan was in grad school and we were totally broke. So we had this huge recliner. And uh, so, so Rain, who was only two years old, was kind of pressed up against me and I had Flannery in my arms and we said we were gonna play bird and that was our nest. And so Rain said, I was mama bird and I thought she would say her little sister was the baby bird since she was a baby, but she said, Rain wasn't, she wasn't, she, this was like an intruder into our house for her. She wasn't super excited about this new creature. So she said, I mean, they're great friends now, but it took some getting used to. So she said, you're the mama bird, and I'm the baby bird, and Flannery is the Flanny bird. And from that moment on, we called her Flanny bird, and it's just gone on from there. So she tells that story. She told it tonight. Some of you have heard it. She just tells anyone who will listen kind of that story. And my kids do this. They both do this. Tell me how I got my name. You know, or that's her nickname. But she'll say, tell me how I got my name. And we'll tell her about Flannery O'Connor and Dorothy Day. Or I said to my parents, how did, how did I get my name? You know, when we ask these stories, tell us how we got our names. We tell family stories, some about names, some about things that have happened, some about um, struggles our family has had, and these stories form our identity. And, and, and maybe you know, maybe in your mind now, you can think of some family stories, and some are really good, and some may be really bad or really hard. And maybe you have some redemption stories of some brokenness in your family that God has healed, and maybe... Maybe you're passing on a healing that you, a uh, kind of health that you didn't grow up with, you know. 
These are the family stories, and they're kind of swapped around. And you know, someone will say, like, how, why is Aunt Agnes angry all the time? And someone will be like, oh, I got a story for you, you know? And so we tell these stories because they explain to us who we are, what made us, what shaped us, what formed us, the things that made you, you. And the passage we read this morning in Acts is a family story. Acts is probably my favorite book of the Bible. Um, I think it is. It's up there. It's in the top five. It could be Luke, uh, which is by the same author. So I really like the way this writer writes. And I like Acts for much the same reason that our daughters like hearing the story of their names and Rain like, and Flannery likes telling the story of her nickname. I like it because I feel like I'm listening to my own story, to the story of the church, to how my family was formed. I feel like I'm listening in to these family stories. My favorite icon that I keep on my desk is Christ the vine, and in it, Christ is in the center, and there's this vine, this branches coming off of him, and there's all these other pictures of the apostles coming off of him, of disciples coming off of him, and I love it because I picture the vine just going off the icon sides, just keep going. So I feel like we're in this icon somehow. Christ, the center of this vine, and it just keeps going off the page. So somewhere, you're there, and I'm there, and this church is there. And this morning, I mean this evening, sorry, <laughs> I had morning in my notes. Um, this morning, we are, I'm sorry, this evening, we are uh, looking at another branch coming off that vine. We, that's what this story in Acts is about, is, a, is another kind of bud that's going to become a giant branch off this vine. And we're just seeing the start of it. The church in Antioch is being born. So we are watching this evening a family being formed, our family being formed, the family of the global church. And I want to look at this church history, this family story, which is what church history is, and I want to pull out three things to look at about this family that we call the church. I mean, we're going to look at, it's going to be very linear tonight, how this family is formed, what this family is like, and what this family is named. So let's look first at how this family is formed. Let's read. I'm going to read this from Acts. It says, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord in their hearts. He saw what the grace of God had done. 
a great number of people believed. A ton of people believed. And the apostles sent Barnabas to them. The apostles didn't say, well, maybe we will count them as Christians, as brothers and sisters, when they've memorized their catechism or when they clean up their act or when they stop all their Gentile ways because this was a new Gentile church. Or when they learn adequate prayer practices, then maybe we'll send Barnabas to them. It says they believed. And then in amazement, the church sent Barnabas to him. They just believed. And they turned to the Lord. And the disciples in Jerusalem were astonished. And they were overjoyed. And they were a little perplexed. And so they sent people. And we are told they saw what the grace of God had done. What the, what? What the grace of God had done. It is grace, it is grace alone that forms this family. Maybe tonight you are really advanced in your prayer life. And maybe you have a rule of life and you tithe and you memorize scripture and you've read every important Christian book and you can articulate orthodox theology and that is great truly that's great but that is not what makes you part of this family you are part of this family by grace you are welcomed here by grace you are welcomed at this table by grace and maybe you're here and you struggle in prayer and you don't tithe or you don't memorize scripture and you struggle to believe and you struggle to obey and you feel like you're not an expert in the Christian faith. And that does not keep you from this family. Each one of us comes together this evening as people desperately in need of grace. No more, no less. There's no order in that. There's no hierarchy. We are formed together by grace, by the grace that God has given. When they saw the grace of God because of what he has done. If we want a family we deserve to be in, if we want a place that people will find us impressive or that we can work our way to the top of, that is not the Christian family. This is a family formed only by those who believe. And one of my favorite lines in a song from Me Without You is, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, we're not impressed, we're not offended, no matter what you've done. And it's saying, come, come into this family, come into this table. We need you, we want you. But it is only by grace that you are welcome. So this family is formed by grace. And let's look at what this grace-formed family is like. Antioch, which, by the way, for those biblical scholars, is now, it's in modern Turkey now. It was this big city, and it was really cosmopolitan and really diverse. And this passage this evening is significant not only because the church in Antioch was born, this singular church, but because this is the first mass evangelism, large-scale conversion of the Gentiles. The apostles and Jesus' disciples had shared the gospel 
broadly, kind of with anyone who would listen after the resurrection, but it didn't occur to most of Jesus' followers that what they were preaching could be good news to non-Jews, to non-Jewish people, to people outside of the covenant. We have seen uh, a few folks come to the Lord. We saw the Ethiopian eunuch that Jonathan preached on, a Roman family that was baptized together. But this is the first time a whole city, a whole community who were outside of the Jewish people, outside of this covenant people of God, came and put their hope in the Lord. And this may be old news to us, but it was astounding at the time. This was totally new. It was completely unexpected. And again, it's, it's uh, like Father Jonathan said last week. I loved this line. It's like the disciples were running to catch up with what the Holy Spirit was already doing. They were just running to kind of catch up. One commentator on this passage called this evangelism in Antioch the great experiment. They didn't know what was going to happen. This was a cross-cultural effort at sharing the gospel, and who knew how it would go? And it was met with this instant and overwhelming success. People were coming to put their hope in Jesus. They found him to be the way, that's what they called him, the way. And this way was wide enough to make room for people from every culture and every background. This was a new family forming, but it was forming between people who had nothing in common but Jesus. And that was enough. Do we believe that this evening? Do we believe that our true family, the people to whom our first loyalties lie, are not those who we agree with politically? Our family is not the right or the left. Our family is not those with whom we share an ethnicity or a nation or even blood, even our biological family. Our family is those who claim this name of Christ. Do you believe that you have more in common with people who love Jesus, who disagree with you politically than those who agree with you politically and who are outside of the faith? When I travel to speak, I, don't, um, I travel around and I speak around the country and I brag on this church. I brag on you. Do you know that? I go and tell people about you. And one of the things I brag on is that our church is really politically diverse. We have people here on the left and the right and everything in between and up and down and all around. And there's very few spaces left in cities that are like this. And I want us to think theologically about our politics. I want us to wrestle with the scriptures and what they say about leadership and justice and abortion and taking care of the poor and the environment and racial reconciliation and what it means for the curse to go as, for the blessing to go as far as the curse is found. I want us to wrestle with that and with the scriptures. But at the end of the day, I want us to know that our love, our devotion, is with those who call upon the name of Jesus even when we disagree with them. 
That doesn't mean that we don't rebuke people. That doesn't mean we don't argue or get into it or conflict or call people to a better way. Feel free to do that. That's part of what families do. But we are family here, and our loyalty is first with the people of God. We tell the truth to them. We call repentance. We don't let fellow believers just get away with anything. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying that we lead with the love that a family shares. So how does this family act? We see that a family takes care of each other. We see that in this passage in Acts. The scriptures, but I'm going to read some more. It says, The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea because they were in a famine. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This church, they saw the needs of their brothers and sisters in Judea, and they responded. They essentially began a relief fund, which for some of us now may be like, yeah, so what? We have relief funds all the time. You would see anytime there's a major disaster, there'll be a fund that comes out. But at the time, this was, this was um, shocking because we cannot forget the huge cultural barriers between Jews and Gentiles in this moment of history. This is a gift that's not like any other gift. This is a family taking care of each other, and it's the most unlikely family. This gift is going across divides of language and divides of culture and ethnicity and politics and history. They are taking care of people that they saw as their family who were totally different than them. This is an unlikely family, and they loved each other, and they sacrificed for each other. So we looked at how this family is formed, what this family is like, and lastly, let's look at what this family is named. One thing that shows family ties often is when they share a name. And all of our names, all of our family names have a story, whether you know it or not. You know, if you're a miller, someone somewhere had a mill. Um, we all have stories. We all get these names from somewhere. We, I have a, our good friends, our very close friends in Nashville just adopted a little girl and the adoption was finalized in March. And the final step, when we knew everything was done, is this little girl, this little baby, took on their last name, took on our friend's last name, and it showed that she was now officially part of their family. And this new family in Antioch that we're seeing this morning got a new name, and it's a name we still use today. Christian. Christos, I said this to the kids, it's a Greek term for Messiah. But the pagans in Antioch, these were not Jewish folks. This wasn't a Jewish city by and large, so they weren't looking for a Messiah. That didn't mean much to them. The Jewish idea of Messiah wasn't, is not what resonated with these folks. They were looking for a savior, for a rescuer. But so when they said Christos, it wasn't probably so much because of the messianic imagery there 
as much as uh, this word Christian came about because the pagans were saying, who are these folks that keep bringing up this Christ fellow? Who is this guy Christ? And why do they keep talking about him? You can, I can almost hear the dialogue on the streets of Antioch when I read this passage, that one Antiochian, like pushing his buggy or whatever, is saying to another, who are these strange new people? These people that where Jews and Gentiles are hanging out together, where Jews and Gentiles are a family, what are they on about? What is happening? These folks who never worshipped together, and now we're finding them worshipping together. What? Who are they? And the other guy says, those are the people that are talking about Christos all the time. The Christ people. The Christians. That's you. They're talking about you. Do you know they're talking about you? That you are the Christ people being described? The ones always going on about this Christ? Could we be known like that today? I want the world to not quite be able to figure us out. To ask, who are these people that don't fit in? Who aren't Republicans or Democrats? Who aren't socialists or capitalists? Who aren't rich or poor? Who aren't black or white? Who aren't American or Nigerian or Iranian primarily? who aren't citizens or immigrants, who aren't one thing, who aren't hanging out with people just like themselves, who are these people, this other weird thing, these Christ people, these people who form this strange new family, who their very name, their identity revolves around the person of Christ. I'm not saying we're there, but I'm saying that's what I want to see. That's what I long for. That's what our calling is. Every time we put on that word Christian, that is what our calling is. To be the strange new family of Christ people. In the period of history when this was written in Acts, those who were supporters of Herod's dynasty, of King Herod, were called Herodians. Herodians. It meant that they were adherents to King Herod. It possibly even meant a little uh, pejoratively that they were slaves or devotees of King Herod. It would be the way, sort of like we use fangirl now, except kind of worse than that. So these people who talked about King Jesus were adherents to even slaves of the Christos, the, the Christ, the Herodians, Christians, Christians. The pagans of the time didn't mean that as a compliment. These Christians were subversive. They didn't fit in to the Roman Empire. They didn't fit in. They were disruptive because they were adherents to the Christ, to this Christ that people kept talking about. They lived differently. They were weirdos. And our brothers and sisters adopted this name. And they said, yep, that's who we are. We are the Christ people. We are the people who owe our loyalty to King Jesus. We are the slaves of Christ. That's us. And they took it and they wore it. This is our family and this is our name. Do you find your core identity? I don't mean a secondary identity. I get that. But I mean your core identity. Not in your class 
or your race, not in your accomplishments or successes, not in your politics or economic views, not in your culture, not in your religious virtue or failure, but that you, by God's grace alone, are in the family of Christ people. The one, the ones who worship Christ, the Christos, who we call king and who we call brother, who forms the most unlikely family that this earth still to this day has ever seen. This is our family story. Tonight we are here to learn the story of who we are again, to be told again, your name, Christians, is part of a story, a story that God wrote, a story of redemption, a long, long story that you are part of, a story of a new family that we're glad you're in. We need God and we need our brothers and sisters. We need this church to tell us again who we are, who our family is, how we got our name. And we are here again this week to take a family meal together and to hear these family stories. And when you come forward today with your brothers and sisters, your family, I want you to ask, like my daughters, like Flannery, ask. I want you to ask God, Tell me how I got my name. Tell me again how you gave me my name. Would you ask God to remind you of your true identity in Jesus? How did you get this name, Christ person? And I know you have another name, but that is your truest, deepest identity. And when you come tonight, Will you let the Lord tell you again how you got your name? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.